Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Man, I'm really excited today because we start a brand new series here. Uh, We're going to do a four-part series on marriage. And I really believe that it's going to be very, very beneficial to you. I really believe that God is going to speak to you. I really believe that, um, uh, that God is going to encourage you through his word. Um, and so really the basis of this series is going to be uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, the whole month is going to be focused on Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to really look at verses 22 through 33. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there today? And uh, so we're going to be four weeks in that section. There is so much in that passage, and uh, I really believe God is going to speak to you. Now, I know a lot of the times um, a marriage series, you know, if you're, especially if you're single, you're like, why am I going to be here? Why do I need to be here? Well, I really encourage you if you're a single and you're looking to uh, mingle in the future, you know, this is something that's really going to be really important to you. Uh, what to look for in a spouse? What's, what, what does a Christ-centered, gospel-centered marriage look like? Uh, and so I think that's going to be really important to you. Or if maybe you're single and you're not looking forward to getting married one day. Uh, you know, this is really inf- helpful information because you never know when you could use this information to help a couple who is married and might be, you know, going through some things. So it's very beneficial for all of us. And just know that throughout this series, my hope and my desire is simply to encourage you. It really is. Uh, there's, some, there's some tough spots and some tough conversations we'll have along the way, uh, but just know it comes from a place that I really love and uh, care for each and every one of you and your marriage. And uh, just know that any truth or any tough topics that we talk about, know it's coming from a place of love and grace. Uh, just, you know, I just want what's best for you and your marriage. So Ephesians chapter five, let me just give you some context real quick. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, and really he's about, he's the last verse in chapter four, uh, he talks about mutually submitting to one another, okay? And then he's going to give us the, the reasons or the, the ways that mutual submission uh, look like a biblical submission to one another. He's going to be talking about husbands and wives, like what mutual submission looks like. He's going to be talking about parents and children, how mutual submission looks like there, or masters and servants. And he's going to be talking about what submission looks like uh, between two people. And I just got to tell you, man, that this passage has been challenging and encouraging for me personally and in my marriage. And today's topic and today's message is just laying the foundation for the next three weeks. But let me tell you this, you have to get this right. Like whatever we talk about today, as I lay the foundation for marriage, you have to get this right. Because everything that we add on is, is, is really built on top of this foundation. So I believe if you have the right perspective, and especially the perspective that I'm going to share with you today from the scriptures, I think you are off to a really, really good start. But you have to, have to, have to get this first part right in order to have a really good, uh, biblical, Christ-centered marriage. I believe the way that you look at marriage and your mind about marriage really can change your marriage. So your perspective on it uh, can really change your marriage. Uh, So let's go ahead and read uh, uh, verse 22 through 33. Again, we're going to be in this section. 
uh, for the four weeks. It says this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let, his, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're going to do today in the lives of people and marriages, in the lives of single people. God, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would lead us, you would direct us, you would guide us. God, may we honor you with our marriage. And God, may we honor our spouses. May we love them and cherish them and sacrificially give everything for them. God, I pray that throughout this whole series that marriages will be restored, that marriages will be strengthened, God, and those that are doing really well, may they be strengthened even further. God, speak to us clearly. Open our hearts to what you want to speak to us today. God, may we apply what we learned today. Because it's one thing to hear it, and it's another thing to do. And God, help us be people who not just hear your word, but actually do your word, God. And we're expecting great things throughout this series. And it can only be done in your strength and your power, through the power of your spirit. So spirit, lead us today. Amen. In September of 2014, uh, I got engaged to Christina, my wife, and man, was it a good, good day. I was, honestly, I don't really get nervous for a lot of things, but that day I was nervous. I was really, really nervous, and I remember proposing to her, and I'm like just sweating stuff, and, and, uh, and of course, she said yes. You know, I did ask her three times, and finally she said yes, but, uh, but, but it was just a really, really just awesome day when, when I proposed to her. And maybe one day when we have time, I will tell you how I proposed to her. Or maybe if you catch me in the lobby, I'll tell you, but it's very embarrassing and I'll never do it again. So guys, if you're single, you need some tips, you know, talk to me. I'll tell you what not to do. But anyway, it was an exciting day, although it was a bad proposal. And man, I just remember going into our uh, kind of engagement season really, really excited. And so we had about a year of, engage, of engagement, and we got married on October 3rd of 2015. So about a year later, we got married. I remember my view on marriage. Like, I remember how I thought about marriage during this time. I'm like, dude, like, this is a piece of cake. Like, I don't know what's the problem. I don't know what's the deal. Like, marriage is super easy. Like, I just don't understand how, like, 
you know, people always say marriage is hard and especially the first few years. Like, I just don't understand. Like, I'm perfect. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, you know? Like, I just don't get it. But, but here's the thing. So we got married. It was awesome. Uh, you know, it was a beautiful day. Had our friends and her family. We got married about a year later. And then it hit me. It hit me really, really quick. That marriage is difficult. Come on, somebody. Yes or no? I see some people smiling. I know it is. Marriage could be difficult. It, it really can. And, uh, you know, marriage experts say that, you know, the honeymoon period usually lasts about two months to two years or something like that. Well, let me just, let me just give you an example of how I really realized marriage was difficult. About a year later, after we got married in 2006, uh, Christine and I had the opportunity to purchase our first home. And so uh, it was move day. It was move day. All the boxes are packed in our apartment. Super exciting. And so me, just being the impatient person that I am, I woke up super early and I'm like, you know what? Like, I just know that the help we were going to get, like the, the friends and family, were gonna, uh, they're going to help us. They're going to show up late. Like, I just know they are, right? And so what I decided to do is I decided to get all the boxes in our living room and start taking them downstairs, right? So that when the help gets there, we just take the box and throw it in the truck or the U-Haul. Like, that's what I wanted. I just want to get a head start. And uh, that's what I started doing. And man, I just started getting a bunch of boxes and taking them downstairs. Now, we lived in the third floor, okay? Third story, a lot of boxes, heavy boxes. I'm taking all of this down there. And I just, you know, uh, I was waiting for our help. And then, you know, I remember Christina, she, she woke up and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, carrying a big old box, just sweating, and just brutal. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm taking all the boxes downstairs so that when our help comes, I could just put them in the, in the U-Haul in the truck. I mean, I'm just trying to get ahead. Like, you know, I'm just trying to get ahead. And she goes, uh, you're just going to leave the boxes outside here, you know, in, in this parking lot where people could come in. I'm like... I mean, I don't see anybody. Like, I, I don't see anything. And she's like, do you know what, are, what I have in those boxes? She's like, I have, like, purses. And not just purses, expensive purses. I have expensive shoes. You can't just leave this stuff out there. I'm like, who's going to – there's a bunch of javelina. That's all there is out here. Like, what are, you, what are you thinking about? And I kid you not, here's what she does next. She grabs the boxes and starts taking them back up. To our apartment. By the grace of God, we are here today. Let me just tell you that. Let me just tell you that. But it was tough, man. It was tough. It was really, really tough, you know. And uh, But man, God has been so good. But that was my view of marriage. Man, it's going to be easy. It's a piece of cake. It's a walk in the park. No, it's not. By, just a show of hands real quick. Man, please just help me out a little bit. Guys, how many of you guys would have done the same thing I did? Please Two, three, four. Oh, yeah, baby. See, babe, I told you. I told you. I told you. Anyway, I feel way better. feel way better. But that was my view of marriage. And I was really thinking about culture and where we're at as a society. What's the culture's view on marriage? How, how are we doing as a society? How are we doing as a culture on marriage? I think, honestly, there's a lot of fear of marriage in our culture. Did you know that uh, less than 50% of all U.S. adults are not married? Less than 50% of all U.S. adults are not married. And it is true that 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's true. It really is true. A lot of people believe that uh, 
here's another view that a lot of people believe, especially young people, believe that most marriages are unhappy. That's what young people believe, that most marriages are unhappy. That's the view of a lot of people in our culture. And it doesn't help that Chris Rock, I don't know if you ever heard what he said about marriage. He says, he says, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? But that's, that's the view that a lot of our culture has. I mean, I don't know if I want to be single and lonely or married and bored because marriage looks pretty daunting. A lot of people in our culture say, hey, you know what? Uh, I think we should, before we get married, how about we kind of go on a little test drive? How about we live together first and see if it works out? And then if it doesn't, then we'll get married. And that's the view of today's culture. Hey, let let me just try to figure out if you're the right person. Hey, let me just try to figure out if there's enough sexual chemistry there to, to see if it works out. Another view of culture is that there's a perfect person for you. Someone who's completely compatible, like a, like a soulmate. Like, I'm just trying to find a soulmate. I'm just trying to find someone who is compatible. I'm just trying to find that one person. I call him the unicorn. You know, we're just trying to find that unicorn, right? We're just trying to find that one person that is meant for me. There was a study done, done on young people on what they really meant by compatible, like a soulmate. And essentially, they meant that, hey, I just want someone who is not going to change me. That's what compatible is. The study revealed that it's like, hey, I just want someone who's not going to change me and I'm not going to change them. And really, it's about my self-fulfillment. I want to find someone who's going to help me in my goals, in my career. And that's really it. And that's the view of our culture today. Studies show it. Data shows it. But here's the thing. It's really interesting that, yes, out of the 50 uh, percent of marriages that end in divorce, yes, that's true. But did you know that, there, that if you are under 18 and you have not completed a high school diploma, that's the majority of the marriages that end in divorce. So if you at least complete high school and get married in your 20s, then you have a really good chance of staying married. Again, most marriages are unhappy. That's what our culture says. But the reality of it is that two-thirds of all marriages who say they are unhappy, if they stay together for at least five years, then after those five years, they actually say, you know what, we're actually very happy. If they stay together after those five years. 62% of people say they are very happy in their marriage. So there's like conflicting ideas, right, in our culture about marriage. Again, hey, you know what, how about we just live together? How about we just have the right sexual chemistry, see if it works out? Did you know that people who live together before getting married are more likely to get divorced later on in life? And the earlier the sex is introduced into a relationship, the more likely they will break up in the future. So that's the view of our culture. That's the view of our culture. But I also want you to understand here in that point that, hey, marriage is also good. Marriage is very good. God gave us marriage and God created us to be in this relationship. And so if that's how our culture views marriage and that's how we're headed, what about the scriptures? What do the scriptures say about marriage? 
what should our, as believers, as the church, what should our view of marriage be? And it's not based off my opinion. It's not based off my experience. It's basically based off the scriptures. We don't have to guess. We don't have to try to find the answer of what true, a true marriage should look like and be like or how we should view marriage. God tells us specifically and directly in the scriptures. And there's two things that I want to share with you today from this Ephesians passage on how we should view marriage. And again, they're so foundational for your marriage, whether you're married right now or you want to be married in the future. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this, that marriage is rooted in the creator. Marriage is rooted in the creator. Verse 31 in our Ephesians passage says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That passage there, uh, it's not Paul's passage. That passage there is from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This passage is from the garden. It's from creation, if you look at Genesis. And so this happens when, when right after when, when, uh, uh, when God created Eve, for Adam. This was the first wedding. Like this was God officiating the first wedding. And man, it was probably a simple wedding, right? Like it was just God and it was just, uh, you know, uh, uh, Adam and Eve and there was no bridesmaids or anything like that. She didn't have to say yes to the dress or anything because they were naked. Obviously it's a super easy wedding, you know? I mean, I don't know if you ever thought of that, but I did. I don't know why I thought about that. But anyway, so, but here's the deal. You see, God in the scriptures, especially in this verse, God defines marriage, he defines it, and he also designs marriage, okay? So, so, God, uh, so marriage is an institution created by God, designed by God, that's rooted in God. God designed and defines marriage. Now, let me give you a biblical definition on marriage or a biblical view of marriage, and here it is. The biblical view of marriage is of a God-given, voluntary, sexual and public social union of one man and one woman from different families for the purpose of serving God. That is a biblical definition of marriage. Again, God designs it and God defines it. And so it is an institution created by God. It is a gift of God to all of humanity. And we are not to change it. It's non-negotiable, non-negotiable. We don't, we don't get to change anything like that. And so marriage is a divine design, not a cultural creation. Cultural, culture did not create marriage. Culture doesn't define marriage. The scriptures do. God and his word does. And so, that, and so marriage is an institution created by God, not by culture. There's a couple of reasons why God did this, why God gave us marriage. But let me ask you this first. Why did God create Eve for Adam? Why did God create Eve for Adam? Was, he was, was it because he was lonely? Was it because he was bored? He's like, man, I have no, I, I'm tired of playing with these animals. Like I need, I need a person, I need a wife, I need, I need something, you know. Was he bored? Was he lonely? Or was he like, 
just roaming around the garden, just completely lost and needed, needed to be told what to do? Probably. Okay, but you know, that's besides the point. That's besides the point. Why did God create Eve for Adam? If you look at the context in Genesis chapter 2, God tells Adam, hey, you got to work the ground. You got to till the ground. You got to work the ground. And then God said, you know what? You're doing all this work. I'm going to send you a helper. God created Eve for Adam because there was work to do. Because of work. And I believe and I've seen in my years, some of the happiest marriages are those that look outward beyond their own self-centeredness to the service of God and others. God created Eve for Adam to work. There's work to be done for God and for the service of others. God created Eve for procreation, to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Children are a blessing from the Lord. God created this institution of marriage for pleasure for sexual intimacy, intimacy that can only happen in the boundaries of marriage. God created marriage for the protection of society because anything outside of this one woman and one man relationship is not designed for society. It's not God designed. And so marriage is designed from God, by God, he has his stamp on it. He has his mark on it, biblical marriage. I mean, think about this. Your car has a designer. At one point, had a designer. Somebody designed the wheels. Someone designed the seats. Someone designed the engine for a specific purpose. Your phone, someone designed your phone. Someone designed uh, the screen and all the stuff that's in it. Someone designed your computer for a specific purpose. And that's the same thing with marriage. God designed it. It's rooted in him. And here's the thing, church. This is super important. To redefine, just listen up here. To redefine marriage is to redefine the gospel. Let me say that again. To redefine marriage is to redefine the gospel. If you change the definition of marriage, you change the gospel. And if the gospel is changed, then the gospel is a gospel that cannot save because it's a false gospel and it's not a true gospel at all. It's a power, it's a powerless gospel. So we as the creation don't have the right to redefine marriage, we respect it and we revere it as something sacred and holy. We don't, we don't redefine it. We revere it and we respect it. Now, this plays into my second point here very perfectly. Second point, marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Look at verse 32. So let me just give you the context again. So Paul is talking about 
you know, relationship between a husband and a wife, right? Like he's talking about that. And then he's also mixing into that, like intermingling the relationship between Christ and the church. That's what he's doing for the first few verses. There's a mixture of husband and wife relationship and then Christ and the church. And then he gets to the passage of creation and that's verse 30, uh, 31. And then now he goes to verse 32 and he says this. He says, the mystery, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. First of all, what is the mystery that Paul is talking about here? The mystery is that God, the Father, sent Jesus, his son, into this world to save sinners. That is the mystery. And it came into fulfillment when Jesus came into the world and died on the cross and rose again to save sinners. That's what the mystery is, that God, came, that God sent his son to save sinners that he came to save the church, to purchase the church. Now, why is it profound? He says this mystery is profound. Now, why is it profound? It is profound because when, when God created Adam and Eve and this institution of marriage, he was looking forward to Christ and the church. So the first wedding, the first marriage is already a reflection of Christ and the church. It is a reflection of the gospel. Marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Paul sees the creation of marriage modeled after Christ and the church. And so for Paul, the gospel was not only the key to understanding marriage, but it was the key to living marriage. So the question is, what did Christ do for the church? If, if marriage is a reflection of the gospel, then what did Christ do for the church? If marriage is what Jesus came into to, to this earth to do for the church, to do for you and I, what did Jesus do for the church? Well, he unconditionally loved the church, didn't he? That he was willing to give up his own life. He provides for the church. He protects the church. He is faithful to the church and always keeps his promises. He forgave the church. He gives grace to the church. He sacrificed his own life to the church. He served the church and he committed his own life to the church. That's the gospel. That Christ loved the church, that loved you and I so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to save us, to restore our relationship with him. And so this gospel is so essential to marriage because it transforms our marriage. It transforms us from the inside out. If we let the message of the gospel impact our lives and impact our marriage, man, it transforms us. In our marriages, we go from being selfish, right, to be very serviceful to our spouse. We go from being prideful and self-centered to hum humble and showing humility to our spouse. Why? Because it is the gospel that is working in us. We are viewing marriage through the lens of the gospel, what Jesus did in, uh, on this earth for the church. It allows us to love our spouse when we don't feel like loving them. 
when we look at our spouse through the lens of the gospel, what Jesus did for me, we get to love our spouse, even when we can't, even when we don't want to, even when we're going through that valley and man, I just want to be apart from them. I can't take it. It allows us and it gives us the strength to love them and to care for them. One of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul, he says this, he says, Christ didn't love a church that was submitted to him, but a church that was rebellious against him. That's the gospel. That Jesus loved the church that was not trying to surrender under him. We rebelled and he loved us anyway. And he loved us anyway. And so it is the gospel church. That's so foundational. It's the gospel. It's, it's seeing what Jesus did for us. It would give us the power, the courage, the perspective to love our spouse, to love our spouse unconditionally, to provide for our spouse, to protect our spouse, to be faithful to our spouse and to keep our promises to our spouse like Christ kept his promise to us, to show grace and mercy and kindness to our spouse the same way that Jesus showed grace, kindness, and mercy to us, to sacrifice and outserve our spouse the same way that Jesus outserved us and sacrificed his life for us, to commit to our spouse for better or for worse the same way that Jesus made that commitment to us. And so church, that is the foundation right there. If you get this right, I think you're off to a head start. If you get this right, that we have to start viewing our marriage through the lens of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. It changes everything. You see, that is why Christina now, you know, now we're in a way better place than when we first started. And we've not only grown in age with spiritual maturity, she can look past of my mistakes, and there's a lot of them, and love me unconditionally. She could love me when I don't put the toilet seat down. She could love me when I don't put the, the cap on top of the toothpaste, and she's just, you know, there's all toothpaste gushing out everywhere. She can love me unconditionally when I use her towel. She hates when I use her towel. And she's like, I can't believe you're using my towel. She can love me when I put the AC down, like just cranking it down in the summer, and I'm wearing a sweatshirt and sweatpants. I mean, she could look at past all of my mistakes. Why? Because she's viewing me through the lens of the gospel changes everything. It changes everything. So here's the deal. Where do we go from here? That God, that marriage is God's design, that we can't change it. We can't change marriage. We can't redefine it. That we're to view marriage through what Jesus did for you and I, through the lens of the gospel. What does that, what does that mean for us? Well, if you're married, I just want to get very practical here. If you're married, two questions I want you to ask yourself today. Two questions. Number one is this. Am I loving my spouse like Christ loved the church? Am I loving my spouse like Christ loved the church? Do you want to know how to treat your spouse? Look at what Jesus Christ did for you. Am I loving my spouse like Christ loved the church? Second question. What step can I take this week to start loving my spouse like Christ loved the church? 
what step, what practical next step can I take to start loving my spouse like Christ loved the church? It's love in action, right? Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. If you really love your spouse, you'll take action to save your marriage, to restore your marriage, to strengthen your marriage if it's already strengthened. For some of you guys, the next step is going to be different. It's going to be different for everyone. Maybe it's just simply having a conversation about where your marriage is at. Maybe you haven't had a conversation in a while. You're like, you know, we just kind of need to get back and and see how we're doing. How are we doing emotionally? How are we doing physically? How are we doing relationally? Like, how are we doing as, as a couple? Maybe it's that. Uh, maybe it's just going out on a date night. Maybe it's, it's just, uh, you know, uh, getting some counseling. Whatever it might be, what is your next step this week that you need to take in your marriage? I also want to encourage you in, in your worship guide, uh, there was a little flyer in there. And there's a 14-day digital devotional in, in, your, in your worship guide. And you can take your phone and you can scan it. And it's 14, 14 days to a better marriage. And this devotional, uh, it, it has like a little, uh, you know, some wording in the, in the beginning and some, uh, some, um, some content. And then it has questions for him. It has questions for her. And then it has questions for the both of you to come together. Maybe it's that. Maybe that's your next step. We want to be very practical and give you the resources that you need. Now, now here's what I want to say. Fellas, men. I would encourage you to take the lead. Take the lead. You are the leader of your house. You are the leader of your home. And I really want to encourage you to take the lead. Don't wait on your spouse to bring it up. Take the lead. Lead well. I mean, what, what does the scripture say, right? That the, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. It's a biblical thing. I'm not making it up. I'm not some macho man trying to be like suppressive. It says it in the scripture. Lead. Look how Jesus led though. He didn't lead like my way or the highway. He led laying down his life for his spouse. Sacrificing for his spouse. Loving his spouse. Loving the church. That's how he led. So I really encourage you to take the lead in your home. Say, hey, babe, let's do, the, let's do the devotional. Let's work on our marriage. Let's strengthen it. I also want to talk to some of you today that you're married and maybe you have an unbelieving spouse. And I just want to encourage you with this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. This is passages talking about someone who is married to someone who doesn't know Christ. And really what this passage is saying, I'll tell you what it's not saying though. It's not saying that if you're married to someone who's Christian that you're automatically gonna be saved. It's not that. What it means that is when there's a Christian spouse and and, and they have a non-Christian spouse, that they are under the influence of a Christian spouse and are more likely to one day come to Christ. So if you're married to someone who doesn't know Jesus, man, continue loving them like Christ loves the church. Continue encouraging them. Continue to reveal and reflect the gospel in their lives. Continue to pray for the salvation and pray for their soul because according to this passage, there is hope. 
There is hope. Singles. I didn't leave you out. Trust me, I said, I said this, this, this series was for you. I got something for you too. Two questions. Number one, does the person I'm dating or will potentially date show patterns of loving me as Christ loved the church? Does the person I'm dating show patterns of loving me as Christ loved the church? Do you get a gospel glimpse from their life? How are they treating you? How are they loving you and encouraging you? Are they, are they reflecting Christ? And notice that I said patterns, not potential. Potential says what the person could be like. That's potential. Don't go off on potential. Well, you know, he just has a lot of potential. I know he's mean to me right now. Okay, I know she just yells at me all the time. But she has potential. Don't go off potential. Go off patterns. What are they currently doing? Potential says what the person could be. Pattern says what the person will probably be like. Be careful. Be wise. Slow down. Look at their patterns, not their potential. Question number two. Is my life being shaped and influenced by the gospel if you're single? Is my own life being shaped and influenced by the gospel. What Jesus did for me, am I living out of that action? His love for me, his grace for me, his mercy for me, his sacrifice for me. I love what Craig Rochelle says about singles. Hey, work on your number one as you wait on your number two. Who's your number one? God. Work on your number one as you wait on your number two. I love that. Work on your relationship with God. Let God impact you and transform you through the message of the gospel, through his word, through people. Is my life being shaped or influenced by the gospel? Work on your number one as you wait on your number two. Church, I want to end with this. Our marriages are a billboard for the gospel. Our marriages are a billboard. We're in the marketing business. And those who don't know Jesus yet are looking at your marriage, how you treat your spouse, how you talk to your spouse, how you encourage your spouse, how you use words with your spouse. Our marriages, our billboards, we're, we're in the marketing business. And those who don't know Christ yet, and especially who have these views that I mentioned earlier, man, they're looking for some hope. They're looking for something different. Question is, is your marriage reflecting the gospel? Is your marriage reflecting the love of Christ to a world who is desperately in need of hope? Marriages who are in desperate need of hope. My hope and my prayer is that it is. That when people look at you, that when people look at your marriage, they'd be like, I want what they've had. Look at how they look at each other. Look at how they talk to each other. Look at how they encourage each other. Look at how they respect each other. Man, I want what they have. What is it? You have Christ. You have Christ. That's what's different. That's what sets our marriages apart from the marriages of the world, is that you have Christ. You have true hope. You have true joy. It's different. I want to end with this. For real this time. 
the Bible begins with a wedding. Genesis chapter 2, like I mentioned earlier. Guess what's at the very end of the Bible? A wedding. Did you know that? Revelation 19. At the very end of Scripture, there's a marriage. And the marriage feast and the wedding feast is a marriage of who? Christ and his church. That Christ came back for his church. And there is a wedding at the end. You think about that. That's powerful. That our scriptures are bookended by marriage. And one day, Christ will come back for his church. So what I want to tell you by that is this. The most important marriage that you have is not your physical, earthly marriage. It's your marriage to Christ. Will you be a part of that marriage in that final day? Let me be more clear. Do you know Christ? Are you married to Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Has the gospel impacted you? Have you repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ? Will you be part of that marriage, that wedding ceremony, that wedding celebration when Christ finally meets his bride, the church? My hope and my prayer is that you would. How? By placing your faith in Christ, surrendering your will to his, letting him be the Lord of your life. How do you do that? By placing your faith in him. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for your marriage, that it be a Christ-centered, gospel-centered marriage. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.